Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Good morning, church. Man, it's good to see you guys. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys have had this experience. Maybe you're around my age, a little older, a little younger, but I come to a reality that was difficult for me to address, and that is that I was lied to a lot as a child. Anybody ever found that? Here's how I found it. Um, when stuff starts to come out of your mouth that your mama and daddy told you, and you, and as an adult, you go, huh. <laughs> For example, when I was a kid and I got sick, I had a doctor. It was my mom. <laughs> it wasn't her formal training, I can assure you. But mom had a solution to everything. Mom knew what would fix it. Let me tell you what my mom's medicine was. If you had a stomach ache, you know what you need? Sprite. You got to get Sprite. Headache? Sprite. Sprain your ankle? Get a Sprite. Sprite was the answer to every, I don't know, and I can tell you, I'm not a doctor either, but I'm just going to tell you this, Sprite don't fix stuff. Like, that's all I can tell you. We were lied to, and when you get older and you say it to your kids, you're like, I got a stomach ache, and you're like, hey, you know what would help that? A carbonated sugary beverage. You start to realize maybe we were lied to. For example, how many of you were told that gum sits in your stomach for seven years? A lie. It's a lie. How many of you were told that if you ate, you couldn't go back and swim for another half an hour? A lie. It does not have any impact. How many of you were told, this was a big habit of mine, pop my knuckles all the time, still do it to this day. If you keep popping those knuckles, you're going to get arthritis. Lie. Doesn't have anything to do with it. I was told, eat carrots, your vision will be good. Everybody in our family wears glasses. <laughs> not one set of good eyeballs amongst all those carrot-eating people. Like, not one. How many of you guys were told this? <laughs> Sorry, I'm very passionate about carrots. <laughs> How many of you were told that every year you eat in your sleep at least seven spiders? <laughs> lie. It's a lie. Some of y'all are like, that is the only thing I needed this morning. Thank you, Jason, for relieving all of that pressure in my life. It is amazing the things that we will believe without ever asking, is it true? And it happens in church all the time. We got people that come into church and, and you'll be told things like, man, uh, uh, you can be anything you want to be if you got Jesus. No, you can't. I wanted to be lots of things. I prayed actively to be the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Didn't happen. My wife has prayed to be taller. Didn't work. There's a lot of things you cannot do. Other people were taught growing up in church, if you follow Jesus, you will not suffer. If you follow Jesus and you've experienced suffering, raise your hand. See, it is a lie. It's amazing the things that we will believe without ever asking, is it true? In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is going to give us some very practical truth. And it's truth that you can believe in today. It's not only true that you can believe in it, I'm going to tell you, I believe it is transformational in your life and the lives of other people that God has called you on mission to impact. Jesus has just finished telling his disciples um, and a bunch of other people in one of the greatest messages ever uh, taught called the Sermon on the Mount. You can read more about it in the book of Matthew. And he has just finished telling them to love their enemies, to offer mercy to the people that do not offer them mercy. And at the very end of that, he tacks on a comment about a very complicated issue. It's an issue that every one of us has wrestled with. 
It's an issue that everybody in here has experienced it being done badly toward you. And if we're honest, it's an it's a issue that every one of us has screwed up ourselves. If you got your notes, you can take those out on your phone or on your paper. We'll start with this. Do not judge. That word judge carries some baggage, doesn't it? Like we hate that word. And for good reason, right? Like there's a lot of places that we feel judgment. How many of you have ever felt judged when you go to a place like this? (laughs) Some of y'all right now won't get a gym membership because you're not in shape enough to go to your gym. I want you to get your head around how crazy that is, right? But you feel judged because you go in there and you got the one, eye, one guy who's like just biceps. He's just working by, and you're like, man, my biceps are tiny. He skips leg day though, so look, I'm just saying. Uh, how many of you, what about this? Anybody ever feel judged by this statement? When your TV is concerned about your viewing habits. I found a ver- different version of this graphic. I like this one. Are you still watching The Office? Not judging, just trying to keep your, keep your place. I like that. Anybody ever felt judged by this? Oh, you guys all did it. I've never asked you to collectively read a screen ever, and you guys just did it instinctively. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, like, I'll tell you who's best at this on our staff is Wes Barnett. <laughs> Wes has learned to filter some of his words, but a sound still comes out. So when something happens, Wes goes, hmm. We're like, Wes, we... What else you got there? Hmm. Anybody ever been in a relationship, your marriage, anything, a friend, whatever, and this got uttered? Hmm. And you know, you know it's a problem. What, what about this? This was, a, this was an interesting place yesterday. This, sorry. There you go. They're here. Uh, listen, if God can reach people from Oklahoma, he can reach anybody. We want you to know that today. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. But I, I love this. Well, this is Wes sitting, in a, he's sitting on the Texas side yesterday at the game. And he was like, ooh, you want to talk about judgment? I was being judged all day long. Anyway, this is the thing that we do. We deal with this word judgment. And so we have to ask the question, is it ever okay to judge? And most people in our cultural world, they go, no, never. You can't judge. Hashtag, don't judge. Like, that's the way we tend to approach it. But let me ask you this. Have you ever witnessed somebody that you love making a really poor decision in their relationships or their finances or spiritually, and you needed to say something? Have you ever made a bad decision in your relationships or in your spiritual life or your finances or some other thing in your life, and you really wish somebody else had said something to you? If you're a parent in this room, have you ever had to discern in a moment whether or not to speak up or stay silent when one of your kids, even your grown kids, are making a decision that you wish they wouldn't make? Isn't that a form of judgment? Let's look at this text and let's find out what is Jesus actually teaching us in this. Luke chapter 6, starting verse 37, do not judge. Believe it or not, contrary to popular belief, that's not where the text stops. It goes on. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So I get why some people say, well, we shouldn't judge because Jesus said don't judge. But did Jesus mean we were never supposed to make wise discernments about anything? 
See, we use don't judge as a way to do a few things in our life. We use it to silence our critics when we feel like we're being attacked. Don't judge me, which means we're telling people we don't believe you ever have the right to tell me I'm doing anything wrong. Or we use it when we're embarrassed and we don't want somebody to call us out on it. A couple of weeks ago, my wife was having some back issues and somebody gave her one of those uh, electronic stimulators. Supposed to be good for your muscles. She would put it on her back. Well, one day I was sitting there, I was watching football. It was a Sunday afternoon, and the little uh, case for the electric stimulators was sitting on the coffee table. And I had a thought. And my thought was, I've seen these things on social media. You put them on your abs. <laughs> Don't judge. <laughs> you put them on your abs, and you can watch football and get shredded at the same time. <laughs> And I was like, why not at least give it a try? I mean, like, I just try it. So here I am by myself in our living room, pull out my shirt, take off the little sticky things, put it on either side of my stomach, and then I turned it up too fast. It hurt. It wasn't feeling good at all. Turned it down, kind of dialed it in, and you can feel these pulses in there. And I'm sitting there like, this is the greatest invention ever. If this works, I'm eating nachos, watching football, and going to look like Brad Pitt when this is all over with. Like, this is amazing. I thought it was awesome. And then my wife walked in the room. Have you ever been judged by somebody's eyeballs? (laughs) Like they didn't say anything. She walked in. I was like, you can take those eyes somewhere else. I I can tell exactly. But we use it as a get out of jail free card, don't we? See, Jesus is not saying either one of those things. He's going to give us a different standard for how to judge. He's going to ask us to, to think about a question. And the question is this, how do you want God to judge you? That's the question. I don't know about you, but I need an awful lot of mercy. Anybody else? So what standard do I want God to use with me? He's going to give us some really great insight into this. He says, give and it will be given to you. Now we use this verse all the time when we're talking about financial generosity, and certainly you can talk about it there, but Jesus isn't talking about financial generosity in the text. He's talking about relational generosity. He's saying as you give grace, that grace is returned upon you you. And I'm talking about saving grace. I'm talking about how many of you have ever needed the grace that somebody would believe that you can change? That you needed grace that somebody would just give you a pass for this one thing that you did or said because it's been a terrible day and you wish for just a moment you could just be let off the hook once. We're talking about that kind of grace. Grace to believe that you can be different than you are today. That's the kind of grace I'm talking about. He says you should be generous with that relationally. And then when you do, there's this great blessing. He says, press down, shaken together, and running over, it, that, that same kind of grace and generosity will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, you go, what is he talking about with this press down, shaken together thing? And for me, it reminded me of this. It's when I go to the movies with my wife and she gets popcorn. There's a process. There's a process when Crystal gets popcorn. Let me explain the process. It's an embarrassing process because usually I'm the one that has to do it. And so I go up to the counter and they're like, hey, we have these pre-made buckets of popcorn. Here you go. And I go, I'm sorry, um, I cannot use your efficiency. I need you to put about two inches of popcorn and then need you to put butter and then I need you to put salt, and then I need you to go another two inches, and I need butter and salt. And we're going to layer that bad boy until we get to the top. And then what you do is you take that big bucket and you go... 
And you get all that stuff to sink deep into it. And then you pile more and pile more. I don't need space in there. Let's, matter of fact, if you've got something back there, get a guy with a glove, shove that stuff down deep and put some more popcorn on there. And then I go in there and my wife is so happy. She feels so blessed. I put it in front of her. She reaches in. She's got a greasy hand filled with butter and popcorn. And it all goes spilling out everywhere. And it overflows as joy in her life. That's what it's talking about. That as you give grace... It overflows. Grace is this thing we don't deserve, but we offer it to somebody anyway. The grace that we got from Jesus, we did not deserve. And yet he gave it to us. And when you give grace in relationship, it overflows in your life. Let me tell you something. Some of you feel a lack of grace coming from other people. And maybe it's their issue. But according to this, can I ask you a question? Maybe the reason you're lacking grace from other people is because you're stingy with it as well. Because the Bible says if I give it, it will be returned to me. And then he tells him a parable, verse 39. He told him a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but anyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. He's saying, you got the blind leading the blind. In other words, neither one of them is generous with grace and both end up in a ditch. Instead, what he wants you to do is reflect your teacher. And our teacher is Jesus Christ, who was abundant with his grace, both salvationally and relationally. So how do we know when to judge and when not to judge? The truth is, there are judgments that we need to make. If you're a boss, you have to make judgments with employees. If you're a parent, you have to make judgments with children. If you're friends, you have to make judgment with what kind of friends you're keeping and what they're doing in each other's life. And so I want you to write these down because this is important. There is going to be times when love requires you to stay silent and allow the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. You're not always going to be the one to speak. And we need to know that. There is a role that somebody has of bringing conviction into people's lives, and it belongs to the Holy Spirit. And so we we need, sometimes God's going to tell you, hey, right now is not your time. Be quiet. But there are also times when the Spirit compels me to speak, where love requires us to say something. And here's the deal. This is why we're talking about this this morning. Knowing the difference between those two To speak or to stay quiet requires unbelievable wisdom that is only going to come from the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want us to get today. There is so much at stake when we do this. If you handle it well, it can be a pivotal moment in the life of you and another person. If you handle it poorly, it will be a pivotal moment in the life of you and another person. The problem is those pivot points are going in two completely different directions. It's very important that we get this right So let's look at the dangers and benefits of judging, starting with the dangers. Dangers of judging start with this. Do not judge a book by its cover. We all know that, right? I don't know how many of you guys shop at Target, um, but Target, everybody kind of wears the same stuff. I don't know what the exact dress code is for a Target employee, but apparently it is wear red in some form, and that's it. And so I walked up to a guy the other day at Target. I was trying to get something in the grocery section, and he was, uh, in my view, he appeared to be stocking shelves. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey, man, do you know where this is? And he said, I don't work here. And I went, I didn't say this out loud, but in my head I went, sucker, you're wearing a red polo and khaki jeans. You came into Target just to get eggs? Okay, my bad. I'm the one off here. Okay, whatever. But here's the deal. We've all made assumptions like that, haven't we? We make assumptions based on how somebody's dressed or the car they drive or the shoes they wear or the neighborhood they live in or their age, their color, their culture. Or sometimes we make a judgment about somebody even by the church they attend. 
That's called prejudice. Pre-judging. It's judging somebody before you get to know them. As a matter of fact, have you ever been compelled to judge somebody based on what somebody else told you about that person only later to find out that it was a lie? That could be dangerous. We're not called to prejudice, to pre-judge. We need to commit our life to learning the full picture about somebody before we write them off. In other words, be curious, not judgmental. In the words of the theologian Ted Lasso. Let me tell you why I think that's a really interesting statement. Judgment assumes. Curiosity learns. Curiosity is going to ask some questions. There is a danger of thinking that we know everything about everybody because what it will do is rob ourselves of learning anything about anybody. Nobody's going to want to be around a person that prejudges everyone. Second danger of judging. Don't confuse who we're called to judge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul, the apostle, he writes this, and he says, what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't we judge those who are inside? He's talking about people that are outside the church, outside the faith, non-believers, versus those who are inside and who are believers. See, if you Google right now, if you were to Google, why are Christians so, the responses that you're going to get when Google autofills that is things like, why are Christians so negative, so mean, so hypocritical, so judgmental? See, here's the thing I want us to understand. If we get this verse right, it's going to give us an incredible opportunity to reach people for Jesus. This is huge. And I just want you to know, if you're not a Christian and you're watching online or you're here this morning, we want you to know we think we've discovered something pretty phenomenal in the person of Jesus Christ. Like all the hope and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the freedom that you're searching for, we found it. We found it in a person, and his name is Jesus. And we have hope from him that there are habits and addictions that can be broken. There are marriages that can be restored. There are families that can be put back together. And the world needs to hear this good news. Can I get a good amen, church? The world needs to hear this good news. But at times, if we're honest, we get confused thinking that somehow us pointing fingers at all those bad, broken, sinful people is going to somehow make them want to follow Jesus. That pointing a finger of condemnation and judgment is going to make them go, wow, I really should change. Thanks for being so mean to me. When the Bible tells us it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. See, when Paul asked the question, what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? The answer is, none of your business. See, they're not going to have your Christian values because they're not in Christ. People who do not have Jesus tend to act like people who do not have Jesus. So they're not going to have the same marriage values, the same financial values. They're not going to share those things. And so if you're a non-believer and you feel judged by the people in the church, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you felt judged before you felt loved. I'm sorry if you felt judged before you had the opportunity to become a Christian. See, in the Christian world, we, we tend to have this view of the world, we look at, oh, this world's so messed up. It's so broken. Everybody is wrong. Like, everybody is, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. That's the phrase I hear from some generations of people all the time. (laughs) We've all got our way to say it, right? Everybody. And they're shocked that a lost world acts lost. I'm not shocked And can I tell you this? And if you don't get anything else I'm saying, I hope you get this. 
I'm not shocked, and it's not because I have a low opinion of non-believers. It's because I know exactly who I would be if I didn't have Jesus. When you stop for a minute and go, who would you be without Christ? What would you act like without Christ? That's what a lost world acts like. The same thing we would if we hadn't met him. See, Scripture isn't telling us not to judge. It's telling us who to start with. And outsiders aren't on the list. We start with us. The third danger of judging is this. We should not have a judgmental spirit. I think it's interesting here when Jesus is teaching, he says, do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Jesus is making a distinction between two very important words, judgment and condemnation. And we cannot smash these words together. We have to keep them distinct and separate. See, here's the thing. We, we can all see this in ourselves, right? When you see somebody doing something they shouldn't do, all of us want them to get caught, right? Like if somebody goes flying past you and they cut off everybody and they're weaving through traffic being an idiot, we all secretly pray that down the road we'll see them pulled over and we can celebrate and have a little worship service right there in our car. <laughs> you got them, you got them. And we're so excited about it. But if I ask you how many of you want to get the speeding ticket for when you sped, we all want off the hook. We want off the hook for us. We want everybody else to get what they deserve. So, so don't miss this, church. What Jesus is inviting us into, it's a very simple thing. In this text is Jesus is inviting us into a life of treating other people the way we want to be treated. There's a big difference between making judgments, by the way, and being judgmental. This is the difference between judgment and condemnation. In other words, it is, it is, it, we can all relate to this. Like, there might be a time in David's life where David lied. We've all done it. There's a difference between going, man, I wish you hadn't lied to me, versus you're a liar. There's a big difference in my life if I look at Cheryl and I go, Cheryl, there was this thing that you failed at. Let's talk about how we can get better. Instead of going, you're a failure. That's the difference between making a judgment and being judgmental. I've got this in your notes. You can write this down. See, making in judgment is knowing and believing right from wrong. But it's anchored to hope. It's anchored to the hope that if I can help you see the wrong, then it can lead you into the way everlasting. It can lead you into hope and to a better future. It can lead you on the path to life and righteousness. But my making a judgment and pointing that out to you, it requires relationship from me that I need to have a relationship with Christ and I need to have a relationship with you to be able to see those things. But I'm, I'm seeing them as a moment, not as your new identity. That you screwed up this time it doesn't mean you're forever a screw-up. See, that's what it means to make judgments, and God calls us to that, but he doesn't call it to be judgmental, or the word Jesus will use is condemnation. The literal translation of this word is damnation, a declaration of guilt. It is writing somebody off forever. That they are beyond hope, they're beyond grace. They've screwed up so bad they could never come back from it. Jesus says, if we condemn, that condemnation comes back on us. But he says, forgive and you'll be forgiven, and it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and overflow in a blessing in your life. And if we could be honest, man, can we just admit that a judgmental spirit is not always heard, but it is always felt? You ever feel when somebody is being judgmental towards you? 
Can I tell you, the Bible calls us to the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what's not on those li- that list? Judgmental. That is not a fruit of the Spirit, which means it is not a byproduct of a mature life in Christ being lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if it's coming out of us, we have to ask some questions about what's going into us. Jesus judges us with a generosity of spirit. While he knew everything about us and had every ability and every right to, be condemned, to condemn us, he shows up in our life and gives us a way out. He shows up in our life and he gives us a hope for the future. And can we just acknowledge, he knows every bit of our mess, doesn't he? How would you like Jesus to identify you as your worst moment and to label you as that forever? That's condemnation. And I'm grateful that we serve a God that does not do that. He knows all of our mess and still pursues us with love. Our grace towards other people should mirror the grace that we receive from Jesus Christ. Let's look at the benefits of judging. Number one, do it right and you will discover your blind spots. We've all got them. Like you ever had somebody that said something to you and then did something and you're like, do you not see that those things are in conflict? Like, you're saying one thing, but doing another. Like, let me give you a, 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 silly, a, like a silly example of this. Um, for a long time when I was a youth pastor, like all the Harry Potter movies came out, and there was a big movement in a lot of churches. Like, don't watch Harry Potter. It's the devil. They make potions in there. And you're like, okay. And the same parent that would say, don't watch Harry Potter because it has potions in it would get super into essential oils. You know, I have a headache. Well, all you need is some peppermint and thieves. And you're like, you're like, you're like ready to pour this. And you're like, I'm going to pour it into this thing. Is that a cauldron? No, it's a diffuser. Like, like, like that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you're an essential oils rep, I love the peppermint one. That's good. <laughs> you, but you see what I'm getting at? Like there's this, that's a silly example, but it's stuff that we do all the time because we're really great experts at seeing all of other people's issues. All right? We can see the problem with our boss or family, political views, whatever. But then we have to look at our own issues. It's weird how blurry our vision gets. That's why Jesus leans into this. He continues in the text and says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite? First, get rid of the log in your eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this is a really weird visual because none of us has ever had a two before sticking out of our eye. But have you ever had something in your eye? It's a, it's a special level of pain, isn't it? Uh, the other day we were in the office, this happened a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my contact tore. And most of it came out of my eye, but there was a sliver of the contact that was stuck in my eyeball. And so we did a uh, sanctioned medical procedure where somebody held a cell phone with a light, and my wife dug around in my eyeball with her finger <laughs> trying to find the sliver. And she kept going, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Are you sure it's in there? And my response was always, yes, I'm sure it's in there. I can feel it. It's microscopic, but it's irritating me. I can feel it. No one gets a tube before in their eye. 
Jesus is using such a ridiculous analogy. Why? Because I want you to imagine this. If you had a board sticking out of your face and you went to a friend and say, bro, there's a speck in your eye. We need to talk about it. Really? See, in that moment, here, here's what's dangerous. I know it, it sounds funny, right? Here's what's dangerous. In that moment, you lost all credibility. Everything that God was calling you to speak into that life is gone because you just gave up credibility in the process. We have to get the plank out of our eye or we might end up with a lack of love towards somebody else. See, the good thing is for me to evaluate me first because when I evaluate me, it keeps me in a position of humility and love towards you. If I'm constantly reminded about the junk in my life, then I'm never going to be in a place of being judgmental over you. I might be making judgments for your benefit as a believer, but I'm not becoming judgmental. See, the truth is there are people in this room, every single person in this room, we, there's stuff we need to address. We need to address the board in our own eye. Maybe for you it's your temper. It's the words that come out. And unfortunately, those words that come out, they too often come out the most damaging to the people that we love the most. And in our home and in our workplace, everybody else is on edge. And you're constantly wondering why you don't have any close relationships. But it's because you push them away with your anger. There are others that need to simply acknowledge that pornography or some form of sexual immorality is eroding your life and it's eroding your marriage, it's eroding your relationships, and we need to admit it. Or maybe for you, you're single and you're falling for somebody that's causing you to fall far away from God. And you know it, but you want the relationship here on earth more than you want to be close to your Heavenly Father right now. Or maybe you constantly are lying. You do it out of fear. You do it to protect yourself. There's any number of reasons. Maybe you lie thinking that, well, I'll, I'll save this person from bad news for the moment but whatever the case it is eroding the trust in your relationships and it is destroying people that are close to you see and i don't want us to miss this the person that we have full permission according to jesus to judge is ourselves that's who we judge because when we judge ourselves first then we will lovingly help others end destructive patterns in their life I want to challenge you to think about two questions, and I would challenge you to ask about three or four trusted people in your life these two questions. What are my blind spots, and how can I improve? What are my blind spots, and how can I, how can I improve? Let me tell you how that's probably going to go in your life. First of all, if I'm just being honest, and listen, it, listen, I want you to know this, church, because I had somebody come up to me a while back, and they said, man, you keep stepping on our toes. You keep stepping on our, on, your, on our toes. And I would just tell you this. If we are teaching and stepping on your toes, it's already because our feet are bloody, because God's been working on us over time. And I just want you to know I'm never trying to bring you into something that I'm not asking God to bring me into as well. And so I just want you to know, if I'm being honest, when I say go find two or three people that are trusted, that you can say, what are my blind spots and how can I improve that more than 50% of this room is never going to repeat those sentences to anybody. Let's be honest. But what would happen if you had the guts to do it? And let me tell you, the first, the first thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to go, they're going to do what everybody does because they don't want to be honest with you. They go, oh, you're doing amazing. You're doing fantastic. Yeah, we all got to work on stuff, but man, you are, you are just a blessing. Praise the Lord. And I would just tell you, when you get that answer, push harder. Go, no, 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 seriously? 
what are my blind spots, and how can I get better? A few weeks ago, I asked a friend of mine this question, and I got the answer I told you. Jason, you're doing great. Man, doing fantastic. You live a life of service. Praise God for that. And I went, thank you, but I'm serious. And here's what I got. Jason, you walk too fast. <laughs> Stay with me. I said, what do you mean? And they said, at church, everywhere you stop, it feels like you have somewhere else to be. And you're walking by too many places. And I go, hey, listen, as a pastor, you know, everybody always wants me to say hi to them, so I'm trying to get to hundreds of people all on a Sunday morning, so I'm moving from here to there. And they go, I know. But maybe there's greater value in stopping for a few longer conversations than saying hi in a hundred superficial ones. So I was convicted by that. I sat down with our staff a couple of weeks ago and I started talking to them and I said, here's what I want us to do. I said, I want every single person on our staff to slow down. I said, I encourage you to have deeper relational conversations. I sent a video to a bunch of our leaders in our church and I gave them the same challenge because if I've got to do it, I'm dragging the rest of you down with me. <laughs> and I will tell you, one of the greatest things happened last Sunday. I came into church so slow. And seriously, I stopped. And I only had maybe 10 to 12 conversations that day. Some of them went five minutes, some of them went 10, 15. And it was interesting because my eyes are not used to holding still. And so people are moving around, so my eyes are going like this the whole time. And people kept going, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know I'm taking too much of your time. And I was like, no, stop saying that. Let's just keep talking. And at the end of the day, I got home, and in the afternoon, I got messages from so many people that just said, hey, I just want you to know, man, it just meant the world to me that we just got a few minutes to talk together. That was because I was willing to push. I go, what are my blind spots? And how can I do this better? The truth is that while it seems ridiculous to have a plank sticking out of your eye and you would think it would be obvious, many of us can't see the plank in our own eye. And in that moment, phone a friend. Ask for some help. But can I give you a warning as you do that? Because some of y'all right now, you're sitting there going, whoo, I can't wait to get out of church. I'm going to tell so-and-so this. I'm going to tell so-and-so this. I'm going to I can't, whoo, I can't wait to get to the house. I'm going to get the kids. I'm going to sit them down. Here's all the stuff I see in your life. And I'm going to just tell you, honesty, honesty is best by invitation only. Let somebody invite you into that. Don't kick the door down. Have a conversation. Have a relationship. Have the courage to do that. It's very, very important. Because here's what happens. You go back to that friend, now you can walk in with credibility. And you go, hey, my friend, I noticed there is a speck in your eye. I know because I had, a, I had a board in mine, and it was painful, and it was ruining my life. But praise God, it's been removed. And my life has improved dramatically. And I want that for you. Can we please talk? And in that moment, you just shifted from a potential hypocrite to a credible, trusted, loving friend. The second benefit of judging, do it right, and you'll have more accountability in your life. 
That text I read earlier from Paul, 1 Corinthians 5.12, it says, what business is of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those that are inside, believers in the church, brothers and sisters. See, Corinth, which is the church that this particular uh, scripture is written to, Corinth was kind of like the Vegas of the first century. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And what happened is there was some bad stuff going on in the church. And let me tell you how bad it is. So we always know there's kind of like the Christian view of the things that we should be doing and what's wrong and what's right. And then there's the worldview of what we should be doing and what's wrong and what's right. And what was going on in the church of Corinth was so bad that even the pagans outside the church were going, that's nasty. That's gross. That offends even our morality. And what was happening was that there was a guy in the church that was sleeping with his father's wife. And Corinth was not a megachurch. At this time, it probably had about 50 people. So everybody knew, and no one said anything. See, here's my challenge to us as believers. There is a danger in living in a culture of political correctness. There is a danger in living in a culture of conflict avoidance. And the danger is that we will constantly fall for the trap of never calling sin, sin, and we will lead people to death and destruction. He says, I want you to judge, but I need you to start with insiders. you got brothers and sisters in Christ that are heading down dangerous roads. Judge those first who should have known better. One of the most courageous, one of the most difficult things that you can do is confront a brother or sister about their sin so that, don't stop there, not just confront them about their sin, confront them about their sin so that their life will flourish. Tough conversations, this is so countercultural, okay, so don't miss this. We think tough, tough, we leave tough conversations feeling defeated. That is not the point of a tough conversation in Christ. See, tough conversations aren't meant to pull us down. They are meant to call us up. They're calling us up to live a life of holiness and righteousness, to be a picture of the love of God to the world. See, here's how standards work in our world. The world wants to say there's no standard. There's no right and wrong. Do whatever you want. That is what's called a condoning spirit. And we do not condone. And then there's the religious leaders of the day and the holier and now people of our day. And they want the standard to be way up here, so high that absolutely no one can reach it and no one will ever be good, off, good enough and they can write you off forever. That is called a condemning spirit. But then there's Jesus' approach where he says the standard is high. And I know you can't get there on your own. So I'm going to build a cross and I'm going to put you on my shoulders. And it is through me and through me alone that you're going to have the ability to achieve what you could not achieve without me. And that is not a condoning spirit. That is not a condemning spirit. That is a gracious spirit. And that is the spirit of our Savior. Don't condemn. Don't condone. Introduce people to Jesus. Look at them and go, hey, you couldn't make it? I couldn't either. But I got to the other side, and it was because of a person that I met, and his name is Jesus. The third and final benefit of judging, do it right, and you'll make better relationship decisions. The same church in Corinth that he's writing to, Paul writes later in chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals or good character. There is a reality that the people you spend the most of your time, time with will impact the trajectory of your life. They will. 
I've sat in my office too many times over the last 28 years and had people say, I wish I'd never gone out with that person. I wish I'd never gone into business with that individual. I wish I'd never initiated a friendship with that person because they had a habit of making bad decision after bad decision and you fell into it together and things got worse and worse and worse. And can I tell you, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for believers, for the insiders, love would not require you to look the other way when you see that happening. Love requires you to say something for the good of their relationships and for the good of the mission God's calling them to. If you're new here or you're not a believer here, I want you to know the kind of church that you walked into. Maybe you're feeling this and you're hearing this and you go, man, I just feel like I've done so much wrong. Here's what I want you to know about the church you walked into. If you're a person in this room that has struggled with sin and continues to struggle with some sins in your life that you are, you know, that you're just honestly having to go to God and confess on a regular basis, can you raise your hand? Go ahead and put them down. If you're a person that is going, hey, I confess that without Jesus, I was broken and messed up and headed in the wrong direction, will you please raise your hand? Every single one of us. So if you're sitting here going, man, I'm really struggling with an addiction right now. I'm really struggling with my anger right now. I'm really struggling with my marriage right now. Here's what I would want you to know. We have two. We have two. And God sees a better way for you. He sees a better way for us. See, this is the whole reason Jesus went to the cross. Jesus knows what it's like to have a plank, but his wasn't in his eye. It was on his back. And he had one thing in his eye. And that was you. He went to the cross for you. And there was no chance of getting his eye off you. The devil tried to do that. We talked about at the beginning of the series where Satan went to him and said, I'll give you anything you want. Just stop doing this and I'll give you everything. And Jesus looked back and said, I have the love of my father and I have these people in my sight. I have everything that I want. You can offer me nothing. See, do not judge is not a call to a boring legalistic life. I think do not judge is a call to an adventure and to a mission. I think it's a call to something spectacular. See, here's, let me give you some practical examples and then I'll close for today. If your marriage is in shambles, and you're not going to raise your hand, but I'm going to tell you, there are marriages in this room that are in shambles. And I want you to look at applying this for just a minute to what that would look like. Maybe you have been in a place where it's been so bad for so long, you've both become judgmental. You, what I mean is you're both constantly writing each other off. You're both constantly living in a place and in a space where you go, you'll never change. That'll never be better. We will always be like this. And you're using what we would call terminal language to describe your relationship over and over and over again. And it is filled with hopelessness. If you could pull back from being judgmental for a minute and instead make a judgment, look at your spouse and go, hey, here's what I've screwed up. Here's the plank in my eye. And I'm confessing that. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And by the way, I see a speck in your eye. How can I help? I don't want that for you either. Let's look at right and wrong. Let's look at those things. Let's make good judgments together and let's be a different marriage than we were. Let's stop being judgmental towards each other and let's make good judgments based on God's truth. You would see dead marriages come to life. For parents who have written off children because those kids just continue to make one bad decision after another, and in their heart they go, ah, they'll never be any better. They just keep doing all the wrong stuff. It's been years and decades, and I don't see it ever changing. 
instead of being judgmental, maybe make a judgment. Be able to look at them and say, hey, can I tell you where I screwed this up? And can I tell you what I see in you? And my heart hurts for you. I believe there's a better path and a better direction. Imagine the company that you work for and all those people that drive you nuts that you can't wait to get clocked out at the end of the day to get away from. Imagine not being judgmental about them, but imagine making judgments of going, man, maybe he's upset because everything in his life is miserable and falling apart. Maybe he makes his decisions because of that. Maybe she is always emotional about everything we talk about at work because her emotions are right here because everything in her life is frazzled. And instead of making judgments that write off my coworkers, I'm going to try, or instead of being judgmental and writing off my coworkers, I'm going to make judgments. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to walk up to him and go, hey, if you get a chance, can we get some coffee, some lunch? Let me take, man, my life, you wouldn't believe the things that have screwed up in my life, but man, there has been, there's hope. I'm not who I used to be. Well, how? How could that possibly be? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about somebody I met, and it changed my life. See, if we understand this verse, and we bring the grace into our world in the measure that our Savior brought it into ours, it would change everything. This is a verse in a passage of scripture we've all heard and taught so many times. And this morning, I just hope and pray that you see it with fresh eyes. That you'd be able to look at people and believe in something better. What I mean by that is this. How many of you believers in this room, you would go, I'm not perfect, but whoo, you wouldn't believe how far I've come. Yep. Can we offer that opportunity to other people too? To believe that God can do something transformative in their life. And if I will use and apply this verse, this text correctly, one day, a few years from now, when they're a very different person, I can be so excited about how God moved in their life. And I got to be a part of that mission. They're not who they were because of the transforming grace of Jesus Christ that didn't condemn them, but led them in the right direction so they could be changed. Let's pray, church. God, thank you for your word and for your grace for us. And God, I pray right now that maybe even as we go into this next song, when I love this song, I love the words of it, I love the power of it, but God, that we would have a moment of first just confession. That if we're a believer in this room, that we would go, here's what I need to confess. Here's where I've gone in the wrong direction. Here's where I've messed up things. Here's the two before of my life. Whatever it is. Lust, gluttony, addiction, immorality, lying, anger, passivity. Whatever it is, what is the two before that's sticking out of your heart? And can we right now just go, God, I want to confess that. I want to ask you to forgive that. And here's what's amazing, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. I'm going to say that again because, church, I'm not sure we understood what the word of God just told us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Is that good news to anybody? 
So right now, I want a moment of confession, not as a way to apply weight or guilt or shame, but as a way for you to experience the faithful forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, to remove the two before so that you can be a part of his transforming work. You can go out into your world, into your home, into your life, into your marriage, into wherever God sends you, and you can see the speck. And you can walk up with love and grace and help see somebody else's life be transformed by the grace of God. God, I pray that you would not let us just... just Today, God, I pray like always, we wouldn't just come to church, but that we would be your church. Hear your word. Be changed by it. And desperately, desperately want everyone else to experience it too. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.